Well, we have been working through a series about finding God in the wilderness. So we've uh, seen the request, hey, Pharaoh, we want to go worship God for three days in the wilderness. And we've uh, embarked on that journey of what on earth is it to go out into the wilderness to want to worship God? And so we've seen God at work in the wilderness, and we are going to continue in that story today. So I'm going to read today from Exodus chapter 17. From the wilderness of Sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The word of the Lord. Well, this is uh, one of the, I, I can't help it, it's a pun, one of the striking texts of the Old Testament, in which we have Moses striking a rock. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a peculiar text because we get a few versions of this story, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But there's all of these stories about the, the Israelite people being out in the wilderness and struggling to survive and continually asking God to do something about it. Um, but there keeps being corrections about the way they go about it, the way they ask about it, the way Moses leads involving it. Uh, and so we are going to sit and discern what it is that God might be saying to each of us today. Now, I think when we enter into this text, not all of us are probably thinking about being out in the wilderness without any water. We've got a lot of water coming down from the sky with snow uh, this morning, and so um, maybe we're not in that same exact position. But it is a position that I think is understandable. And so I'm going to read again that they were in the wilderness of scene, and the whole congregation was journeying by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. And so they ask, what you might expect, give us water to drink. All right, it, it seems like a basic request. Um, what's interesting is that they're traveling by the route that God commanded them, and yet they don't find water. And so they find themselves in a place of desperation. They're in a place where they're, they can't survive unless they get some water. And so they, they're coming from a place of, what, on else can, what, on el what else can we do because I need water? And each of us have our own things that we become desperate about. Some of those things are on that basic level, food, water, uh, safe place to sleep and stay. Um, but if we get that, it kind of moves on from those kinds of stages, and we all have things that we feel like if we don't have this thing, our lives are going to fall apart. 
And so we become so desperate to hold on to the things that we think we absolutely need. And so the people here are, are desiring, are desperate for uh, water. And so what they're desperate for is safety. There's, they want safety from uh, the, the challenge, safety from the desperation. They want power and control over their situation. Uh, because desperate, being desperate doesn't feel good. Right? You want to have control. You want to feel like you are the owner of your, your life, that you can go the directions that you want to go. You can make the decisions you want to make. But the moment that you're suddenly without water and you're thirsty, you're like, I have to get water. And so uh, maybe anybody that has had moments where they've, they've had that feeling, maybe you're into a, a biking or, or jogging or you were in sports growing up or something, and you've had the moment where you're just exhausted and you could just drink and drink and drink and drink. You just want to just flood yourself with hydration. And we just become desperate for it. And so that desperation is something that we could naturally all experience. The problem is, is how we respond to our desperation. And so in this story, the people respond by turning to Moses and demanding. They, they quarreled with Moses, is the language of the text. They quarreled with him and said, give us water to drink. And Moses asked, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water, and they complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Something that happens in our lives when we become desperate is we don't like feeling that way, so we think, I'm going to do something about it. The first thing that we often do is we put up armor. We put up armor which keeps separation, protection between us and somebody else or between us and that thing that we're afraid of. And so we distance ourselves from each other. And you hear a little bit about the people in the crowds distancing themselves from Moses, like, why did you do this thing? You're an awful leader. Why, don't, why did you bring us out here? And so there's this separation, there's this distancing that happens because you don't want to take any of the blame yourself. It's like, well, why did I choose to go out into the wilderness? Like, what did I think was going to happen? Did I think it was going to be a waterful like, place that I'm always going to get all the drinks that I wanted? And, but it becomes, well, look at what Moses did. And so we put that armor to push off other people in our lives, to push off their decisions, to push everybody away, because we want to protect ourselves. That maybe if I put up enough armor, you can't hurt me anymore. And so we distance ourselves when we become desperate. But it doesn't just become enough when we distance ourselves. Um, oftentimes, once we distance ourselves, we start going, you know, I don't even want to feel pain, but I also want to be proactive here. I'm going to actually corner somebody else. I'm going to put somebody else into a desperate position and make them have to answer this, this question, make them have to address this problem. And so instead of feeling cornered myself, I put up a wall and then I actually go forward and I push somebody else into the corner. And I start making them feel desperate. And so in this story, it's not just the crowds who feel desperate. Moses feels very desperate too. When he talks to God, he's like, hey God, they want to stone me. What are we going to do? So the crowds are dying of thirst. Moses is like, I'm going to die because they're going to push me. They're going to throw rocks at me. You know, there's not enough water. There's a lot of hard rocks though. And they're going to stone me. And so what became the crowd's desperation becomes Moses' desperation as well. And so we don't just put up our armor, we push people into the corner. 
And if we have enough power, we start creating an environment in which nobody else could have the opportunity to pick up stones, nobody else could have the opportunity to put accusations against us. Uh, Because when we're afraid of what somebody will do to us, we start becoming the thing we're afraid of. We start pushing others into the corner and start making it where nobody else can respond. And so I, I don't know about you, but I couldn't hear this story, and I was thinking about something that's been all over the news the last few weeks, which was a hundred variations of articles about the political situation in the world in which everyone is afraid of what will a cornered Vladimir Putin do. And there's all these think pieces on, well, what if we corner him? What if he's cornered? What will he do? Uh, And I've got a few article titles uh, from New York Times, Washington's newest worry, the dangers of cornering Putin. From Vice, Putin's cornered rat story might be a warning about his next move. From the Atlantic, what happens when we back Putin into a corner? And all of these things are playing on knowing how humans respond when we feel desperate and we feel backed into a corner. Well, what would happen if you also had control of you know, a military, had control of nuclear warheads, and you feel backed into a corner? And so it's kind of a global examination of what's human nature like when we get backed into a corner. And the thought is, is that kind of in your brain, when you have any sort of fear, when you have any sort of bad situation, you could, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. But once you get into the corner, you can't really freeze or flee very easily anymore. So the idea is when you get yourself backed into a corner, you start fighting people because your brain doesn't know what else to do. And so, uh, the world is wondering, well, what does somebody who feels cornered going to do? And uh, we see devastation, we see all the pain, all the broken things, all of the, the sadness, the grief, all because what does a cornered person do? Uh, we just can't help but we, we lash out, we harm people when we're cornered. And so maybe you've, you've experienced this, not on this geopolitical level, but you've had a relationship where uh, you were upset at somebody else at what they did. And you know, when you're, you love somebody, sometimes that also brings out the most sharpest words. And, and so you lashed out because you felt cornered. And now that person feels cornered. And then they lash out. And the next thing you know, you're fighting. You're like, why are we fighting so much? And it's just because you've locked yourself in. You've cornered yourselves or you feel like you have to lash out. And what I found so interesting about reading all of these stories is It's so bizarre that the person who's the aggressor could be the person cornered, right? Like, how are you the one on the offense, and yet you're the person that people all feel like is cornered? Uh, And so the New York Times story had some interesting quotes on this. Um, They said, the next move for Mr. Putin is likely to further intensify his operations in Ukraine, which would almost certainly result in more civilian casualties and destructions, quote, it wasn't a cakewalk for Putin, and now he has no choice but to double down, said Beth Sander, a former top intelligence official. Quote, this is what autocrats do. You cannot walk away or you look weak. I thought that was so fascinating. You, you have no choice but to double down. When we get desperate and we feel cornered, we feel like the only way out is through getting more, more harm done, more violence, more aggression, just doubling down on whatever bad, toxic behavior we get pushed into. And the people in the wilderness here, 
are, they're faced with desperation. Moses thinks they're going to stone him. And everybody's kind of in a stalemate. And the, the strange thing is, is how on earth do you get cornered in the wilderness? Like there's no corners really. It's just big open space. But how do you get cornered when you're the aggressor? Like the thing is, is that our brains create the corners that we corner ourselves in. We corner our own possibilities into just a limited range of what's possible. And so what happens when we get desperate is we start putting up defenses, we start pushing people away, we start hurting others, we try, try to create an environment where nobody can hurt me anymore. And when it doesn't work, we just keep doubling down on it. And so the usual strategy would just be to keep fighting it out, keep having the same conflict, keep causing more harm, and hope that you're on the best side of that situation. What happens in this story in our text, though, is quite different. Uh, well, that, well, that other story is our normal route of escalating violence, of doubling down. Uh, God has a different recommendation. So when Moses cried out, what shall I do with his people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people. Pause. Uh, if they want to stone him, this isn't probably the best thing to hear right up front. All right, go walk through the people. Go out in front of them. Take some of the elders of Israel with you and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will be standing there in front of you on that rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will come out so that the people might drink. So in the face of feeling cornered, in the face of feeling the desperation, God's recommendation of the story uh, was not to lash out at the people, but to do something more daring, more courageous, more possible, to walk out in front of the very people who you think want to kill you. Walk into the midst of them, walk in front of them. And there's some easy decisions that seem too hard to do once our brains are scared, of like when I have a problem with this relationship and I start wanting to avoid somebody, I start wanting to not answer calls or, or not show up anymore where they're at, and I just want to hide from the conflict and push them away. But God invites Moses, hey, walk into their midst, go into the front of the people. And so he has to be courageous, he has to be daring, he has to be brave enough to walk in front of the people. And he also opens up possibilities, which is the real challenge of desperation. When you get desperate, you, you shrink down what you think is possible. So God says, walk out in front of the people and take the staff with you. The one that you used on the Nile. You know the one that caused plagues? The one that made it hard to drink water? The thing that, that made it hard to live in the midst of the plagues in Egypt? Bring that staff that we think is for plagues and use that staff to make provisions. So the staff that had made all these plagues now becomes opened up to hit this random rock and trust me, that I promise you water is going to come out of it. And so if you can imagine a group of people who are desperate, who are struggling to survive, who are thinking about maybe I should stone this leader, um, because when you're in that desperate state, you, you have the worst motivations that you imagine for people. Like when you've been cornered and you, and you have that fight with your people that you're in a relationship with, the people think, Moses, you took us out of the Egypt just to bring us to the wilderness to die. 
Right? The people have this motivation challenge where they, they assume the worst in the other. Walk into the midst of that people. And no matter what they're thinking about you, no matter what they might plan to do, walk out there, take the staff that would be seen as something that might cause harm, that might cause plagues and destruction, and see what's possible here. And so he strikes the rock, and it provides them water. And then they kind of just move on. Because once you're past that certain desperation, it's on to the next time that you get desperate. Uh, This is the third time in the last couple chapters in Exodus in which the people have cried out in desperation. Uh, The first time there was some water around, but it was bitter. Maybe you know what it's like to have, the water reservoir is not quite the most tasty water. And you're like, I can't even drink this stuff. And so they had to do a certain kind of thing, and the water became cleaned up, and they could drink the water. But then they got hungry. I said, what, what are we supposed to eat out here? It's, it's hard enough to survive. How are there going to be anything here to eat? And then manna comes from the skies, and they have food to eat. And then they're walking, and they were like, hey, we thought there'd be water here. If you don't know anything about this kind of region, there's like wadis where there's like riverbeds, but it's not always filled with water. There's dry seasons. We thought there might be some water here. There's nothing. You must have just brought us out here to die. What are we supposed to do? Why, don't we just, why do you just want us to die out in the wilderness? We should just go home. See, people who have seen what it's like to have provisions, seen what it's like to have new possibilities, to walk through the sea, so quickly go back to, there's no way forward. I should just go home. I should just turn it around. At least when I was a slave in Egypt, I had enough water to drink. Why'd you bring us out here? And so this text gives us its own name of what to describe this place. Um, Moses calls this place Massah or Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Which is such a powerful question. And for this people wandering through the wilderness, when it got difficult, when it got desperate, the answer was no, it, it can't be that God's out here. Where's the water? Why, why would you bring us out here? And so they tested God, quarreled with God with Moses, and they doubted again. You know, and it's hard for us to imagine. Sometimes you're like, man, you saw these plagues, you walked through the sea, you've had manna and all this other stuff. How do you, how do you doubt anymore? But it, it's, uh, it's pretty easy. <laughs> pretty easy to look into your own life and remember the times where you've You've been fortunate where God has blessed you, God has moved in your life in unexpected ways, God's brought somebody into your life that you, that you didn't even know that you needed in your life, a, a, the friendship, a spouse, a, a child, you know, you've, you've had somebody that God has touched you through, and yet when it gets bleak and it gets desperate, your brain starts closing in on yourself and you start feeling yourself cornered. And so this text invites us to ask, is the Lord here or not? And it invites us to back ourselves out of the corner that we create for ourselves and say, all right, God, what's the possibility here? Where's the place that I can go? How do you get me out of this position? Because I trust you. And instead of 
putting all of the, the worst motivations onto the people around us and blaming them for our situation. Asking God, what can you make possible in this moment? And so I don't know what might be creating desperation in your life today. Each one of us has our own things. They might be financial, economic desperations, where you don't know how you're going to pay the next bill, or you don't know how you're going to, like, do I have to downsize my house? What, what am I going to do? How do I financially get past this moment? And sometimes we get so locked into doubling down of, I have to have this certain situation. And what is it for God to open up possibility of what it looks like to move forward? For some of us, it's uh, that desperation is on a relationship, uh, a broken relationship with friend, with spouse, with, with family member. And we just, we don't see a possible way forward. But what is it uh, to say is God here and to hope for a possibility of what might happen uh, when we trust God? And so I hope that wherever you are at, whatever you can sense that little feeling of desperation, of feeling like you're moving into a corner, that you might feel God open that up today. Uh, I hope that you can reimagine what God can do, that you can see what the staff might be of like the thing that you thought would, would brought harm, that brought devastation, might be renewed, might be transformed for you into something that brings hope. And so I hope that this this text invites us to open up possibilities of where God might lead us, where God might transform us. Uh, something that gets so radical that when we look into the life of Jesus, we see a person who uh, is on the cross, the, the thing that was made to bring shame, the thing that was made to bring uh, you know, dishonor, made to bring fear, and yet he uses that place to bring forgiveness to people. Uh, where even the centurion at the end of Jesus' life there in that moment says, surely this must have been the Son of God. So we don't know what thing that you might be afraid of, what thing that brings you desperation might become the very thing that God uses to bring hope and to bring life and possibility. And so we ask with the people in the wilderness, is the Lord among us or not? Good news is the answer is always yes. The question is whether we trust in that, whether we live into that today, whether we live daringly into the life God has called us, saying, yes, the Lord is here today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we all have different stories. We all have different uh, travel routes to be here and to worship today. Lord, I ask that for anyone who's felt desperate, who's felt uh, uncertain, who's felt empty, that you might renew and restore our hope in you, that we might find life and opportunity, that you might give us a fresh mind, the mind of Christ to see this world around us. Lord, for all of us who feel like we're stuck and we have to go forward, we we. We just keep doubling down on things that cause us pain and those around us. Lord, I ask that you'd help us to repent and to turn away and to turn towards you. Lord, help us to trust in you. Lord, help us to see you at work, uh, not just in the wilderness, but in the lives of those around us. Lord, I ask that you just give us uh, a brave heart to be a brave heart to be vulnerable 
to put down our defenses and our armor, and to exchange that armor for uh, trusting in you. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.